0: It's Monday in Missouri, and there's still uncertainty over Governor Eric Greitens' future. Over the weekend, he conducted several interviews regarding his admission that he had an extramarital affair before he was governor. Among other things, Greitens once again denied to the Associated Press that he took a photo of a woman to prevent her from revealing the infidelity.
1: Did you actually take a photo of her?
2: As I said, this is a consensual relationship, David. And there was no blackmail. There was no threat of using a photograph uh, for blackmail. And, um, there,
1: and there was no violence. Um, the mistake that, that I made, as I said, was that I was engaged in a consensual relationship with a woman uh, who wasn't my wife. And, and beyond that, everyone, Sheena, everyone has asked for privacy. And, and again, we would ask you to, to respect that.
0: He also reiterated that he would not be resigning, something that some members of his own party have urged him to do. One of those Republicans is State Representative Marsha Hafner, a four-term GOP lawmaker from South St. Louis County. Hafner joined the Politically Speaking podcast to talk about her strong statement against the governor staying in office and how his decision not to resign affects the ability of the legislature to do its job. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason
1: Merzenbaum.
2: And I'm Joe Manis.
0: That's Eric Greitens, Navy (laughs) SEALs running for governor,
2: and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and
1: Joe. I'm going to push back.
0: And welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me today in our studios in St. Louis is...
3: Colleague Joe Manis.
0: And we welcome back for the second time our special guest today...
3: Representative Marsha Hafner.
0: A state representative who represents a portion of South St. Louis County. But before we pepper you with questions, just remind our listeners uh, the boundaries of your district and, of course, what number it is.
3: It's District 95, which is Telegraph Road. It's a very furthest south you can be in in St. Louis County. I I, I, um, I joined Jefferson County and then all the way from Telegraph over to I-55.
0: So
2: And how long have you been the representative? This rep- is
3: president? my last term, my Amazing.
2: eighth year.
0: I remember when you were elected because you were a candidate, that a Republican that took over for a Democrat. And even despite the ups and downs of the election cycle, I think you've won all of your elections pretty decisively, even though I think Oakville area used to be pretty swing district i guess it's just changed a lot in the last six or seven years
3: i think it has and i think maybe my strong numbers could be that just i've been a very visible part of the community all my adult life and um a lot of people know me from my business
2: now, oh yeah, and explain explain your business.
3: We have a garden center yeah. on Telegraph Road and my mother-in-law had a produce stand on Telegraph Road where a lot of people recognize the name from that.
0: So if you need any any garden or or produce related things. Well, the
3: produce stand is no, no longer, longer there.
0: there. Well, at least at least garden stuff. Sure,
2: okay. Well, but your name has been in the news for other reasons. The yes, last it has. few days, Representative Hafner was among the first uh, legislators on the Republican side to publicly come out and call for uh, Governor Eric Greitens to step down after the controversy over his acknowledgement that he had an affair in 2015 um, with a woman. There is some controversy about it because her ex-husband taped the woman unknowingly, and on the tape, she appears to say that Eric Greitens had photographed her as she was undressed and that he threatened to uh, make that public if. Uh, she ever talked about the affair she has not talked about it the governor denies all that part he admits the affair but denies all that but that said you were among the first uh, Republicans who said he's got to go do you want to talk a little bit about that so we can have the backdrop for then going forward
3: well a lot of the criticism for my statement that I believe he needs to resign was because he had an affair before he was elected governor what's the big deal but it wasn't the affair, it's what happened after the affair that I find troublesome. The, the potential of a cover-up, the potential of a threat, the potential of a bribe. Um, and then when you add to that, that one of his staff members, an attorney, contacted the attorney for the ex-husband who brought the story forward, I find that to be very troublesome and somewhat unethical that a paid state employee is doing investigating for this personal matter. There were just other things that came forward after the revelation of the affair that made me decide this was the right thing to say at the right time.
2: Now, over the last weekend, the governor has done uh, several interviews, one, one print with AP, one radio with Mark Reardon on Camo one TV on Channel 2 Fox News. I'm interested in your take if those have influenced uh, your decisions since then, and then we'll go forward.
3: Well, I think the governor is, is vehemently denying the charges, which I understand. I think we're in a situation right now is who do you believe? The woman on the audio tape or the governor who has said for the record that none of those other things happened? So I think we're in a situation where if there were to be an investigation, I would think the governor would welcome that to clear the air and let us move forward. Until we get the right answers, I don't know how we move forward.
0: I, I want to read part of your statement because one of the reasons why it struck me was, as I mentioned before the show, you have not vehemently criticized the governor in the past. You are the chairperson, I believe, of the fiscal Review Committee, which is a which is a very important committee in the House. You have a reputation that is pretty solid within the Missouri House, as does Representative Kathy Conway, who also called for the resignation. But I was also struck just because the statement itself was just had just came across very strongly. And I don't mean that pejoratively. It's just that it was notable. This is part of it. Eric Greitens was elected governor based on campaign promises of ethics, transparency, family values, and ridding our state of, quote, corrupt politicians who stood in the way of moving Missouri forward. He's attacked good people to elevate his status while taking credit for the work of others, and now we're faced with this embarrassing situation. In a letter he wrote two years ago, he stated it's, quote, our duties to kill the snakes. As a public servant, it's my duty to ask for Governor Greitens to resign immediately and allow Missouri to move on, move forward, and get back to work. So that wasn't like a ambiguous or subtle statement. I with that, I I don't know if I want to spend a lot of time like asking you what prompted to use that type of strong language, but I would like you to take this opportunity why you feel that this situation touched you on such a visceral level like this.
3: It it really mattered to me to make a strong statement because anyone that knows me knows where I stand on things. I, I didn't want to be kind of ambiguous about my feelings on this. I feel that this is now a big distraction for those of us that are there in Jefferson City to get some important work done. And until this story goes away, it will continue to be a distraction to the work that we're supposed to be doing.
2: Um, was your reaction uh, tied at all to the controversy a few years ago? when then-State then state House Speaker John Deal had to step down. I know there was a lot of women legislators who had told him he had to go When for about a day or so when he was trying to hold on to his job because of his admitted inappropriate communications with an um, intern.
3: Not at all. I try to look at situations, especially when I speak out, isolate them and just deal with, with the facts that were, are in front of us now. It was the same thing with the Warren Love statement that I made during, during the um, ethics committee hearing, that um, whatever we did with the senator that said something we didn't like had nothing to do with what we do with a House member, and uh, uh, what I thought would be an appropriate reprimand.
0: I, I do want to touch on another thing that you alluded to in the statement I just read. Even before this situation, the governor and the Republican legislature had been. In conflict over a number of things, and some of it actually got personal when the governor criticized specific state senators on the Republican side over things, or had his 501c4 that's connected to him attack some sitting legislators as well. It, 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 sent, it, it it's noticeable to me that there are not a lot of people defending the governor at all, even in the House, and I was I'm not going to say that people were defending Deal behavior, but I do kind of recall he was remembered a little bit more magnanimously afterward. Is, is you, Do you think one of the reasons why he's not getting a lot of support are those pre-existing conflicts where he attacked the legislature, and that's kind of a, an example of you know using that type of tactics comes back to harm you when you're in a controversy like this?
3: I'm sure it has a lot to do with some of the things that we're hearing now and the lack of support for the governor, we're we're supposed to be a team and a lot of us came before him and kind of blazed a trail to make his governorship possible. And I have never understood why we don't work as a team, why we don't communicate, why why we're being called names like third graders when we're there to do a job. And I think that we accomplished a lot considering we had a Democrat governor while I was in the House for six years before he got there, um, we should be a team, not attacking each other.
2: Now, you'll be going back to the General Assembly shortly after this interview. And today is Monday, and the governor plans to finally um, unveil his budget, and um, <clears throat> which he did not do during the State of the State Address, which frankly is probably just as well. I mean, looking for now, part although he did talk in the State of the State of the Address about proposing more tax cuts. With that in mind, how do you think this whole controversy is going to influence now going forward when the General Assembly is looking at his budget proposal and the tax cut proposal? Will they be able to separate these two, or is there is it just unavoidable that the controversy is going to affect how people treat his budget proposals?
3: I think most of us just want to get our work done, and hope and because there's some other House bills and Senate bills calling for tax cuts too. I think that discussion will take place and maybe we will make some progress. Um, Hopefully we can just move forward and get our work done while this all plays out.
2: What's your thoughts about the tax cuts in general? I mean, with the other state tax cuts from several years ago still going into effect and the new federal tax cuts now going into effect.
3: I think that we need to be very careful about what we're proposing and I am one to really Favor um, the lower, lowest taxes we can have, but we still have work to do.
0: I, I want to play a clip now from Senate President Pro Tem Ron Richard. He actually said this, I think, on the first or second day of session. He he also expressed very similar sentiments that he is a low tax person that probably would support reductions in in taxation. But he also lives close to Kansas, with what which went through <laughs> a pretty terrible budgetary situation after there were tax cuts but not enough cuts in spending.
2: And they later had to restore
0: most of it. This is what uh, the Senate President Pro Tem had to say about that.
1: I like low taxes too, but I'm going to be very careful to make sure that we're not endangering this institution, this building, the the taxpayers, after I'm gone, beyond repair. I don't want a Brownback thing.
0: Brownback, by the way, is a (laughs) reference to Kansas Governor uh, Sam Brownback, who I think is still the governor of Kansas now. He's in limbo because of an appointment. How does the legislature avoid a situation like Kansas? I know that the last tax cut had quote-unquote triggers that only went into effect when general revenue went up. A lot of the proposals seem a lot deeper than that and don't seem to have those safeguards in place. As somebody who is on the budget committee and has been following this, how can you you make cuts, further cuts in taxes without further jeopardizing state services?
3: Well, I find it interesting that The people that are in front of the tax cut issues are not the people that sit day and night trying to figure out how to craft a budget every year for the state and making the difficult decisions. And um, we're going to have to be honest about tax cuts in that if we cut certain taxes, other taxes are going to have to go up or we won't be able to repair crumbling roads and bridges or... um, Public safety would suffer or mental health services may have to go away that right now are somewhat discretionary because we are careful with how we spend our money. If we are too short of cash on hand, then those things go away.
2: Now, there already has been talk that uh, that the governor's administration has told department heads to expect $300 million in additional cuts. It's unclear if that means that's in his budget proposal for the coming fiscal year or if they're referring to the current uh, budget year, which right now um, income is so so, but uh, the budget director has said that over the course, based on their projections, the the state's going to be taking in about 150 million less than what had been predicted when the budget was drawn up. I'm just interested in what you've heard and how you think that affects things.
3: That 300 million number is a number that I have also heard, and I don't know if that's inclusive of the effect of the federal tax cuts on the state of Missouri. I've heard that number. I believe is around 65 million. I don't know if that's included in the 300 million, but I'd like to see how we get our, you know, take care of our state with 300 million less.
0: And I just want to note for our listeners, we're recording this on Monday morning. The governor will release his proposed budget. Uh, on Monday afternoon. So check out stlpublicradio.org for more information on that. I'm going to play a clip now from Representative Crystal Quaid. She's a freshman Democratic lawmaker from Springfield. She's on the House Budget Committee. And and the question that I asked her is, is, I've now been covering Missouri politics for 12 years. And one thing that I've noticed is there always seems to be these seemingly intractable problems of getting more money to roads, getting more money to higher education institutions, and getting more money to vulnerable Missourians that need health care services. The in-home care situation comes to mind. I I asked her if there is enough appetite among Republican lawmakers to make the difficult decisions of trying to get more money to those sectors, especially with with the concept of tax cuts floating around. This is what she had to say.
1: Unfortunately, I I can't say that I do. (laughs) Um, I think, I don't know how much the situation with the governor really even plays into that conversation. Um, It's an election year. We have an election every two years in the state of Missouri um, for the House, and um, it almost feels like campaign season never stops. And so I think that you are spot on in saying that it's easy to talk about these things, and they play well, and um, it works for votes, and it works for getting reelected. for people to really dig in and be willing to have a serious conversation about the budget crisis, about the social services we provide, about higher ed and transportation, the things you listed off, um, that's gonna take a lot of work and long time, it's it's like looking at back at the the criminal code changes that that we made. That was you know six eight years in the in the legislature before compromises were made and there was a bill passed. I think that we're going to have to do the same thing when it comes to really solving our budget situation.
0: So I know that doing all those things is not there's no magical solution there, but. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this because as someone who's lived in Missouri for a long time, I'm seeing all those sectors I just mentioned chronically not being able to get enough money. And it's uh, oh, after a while, that's going to affect whether people want to live or move here at a certain point. I'm interested to hear your perspective on that.
3: Well, I think Representative Quaid is correct in saying that this is a process. It's not that we're going to have this concept this year and it's going to all happen by next year. We have to look carefully at how do we replace those revenues that are going to be not coming in to the general revenue if there is a tax cut? And we are not a a low-tax state by any means. I think we do have some places to look where we can reduce taxes, but there is going to have to also be a hard look at what is going to replace those revenues, like the streamlined sales tax. That's not a popular decision to make for some people, but um, as a retailer with a brick and mortar store, the competition of online sales without them having any sales tax uh, responsibility for a state it has put has put a lot of states in 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 a hard place.
2: I mean have you I mean I know there's been efforts I mean former governor jay Nixon when he, when he was in the in, in charge, he pushed several times to try to get. Um, sales tax imposed on Internet pur- purchases. Do you think the General Assembly may be considering doing that, especially if they're making some trims elsewhere? And ditto for the uh, gas tax, which is one of the lowest in the country.
3: Right. I do believe in the two Senate bills, uh streamlined sales tax is part of the package that they're presenting. And as far as the gas tax, that was a sales tax, which... The
0: 2014 proposal...
3: Oh, okay. Not yeah, the, the one, 2004 that was an actual? Okay. Uh, yeah, I,
0: I, think okay. what, I think what we're talking about now is I think the proposal has been raising the gas tax by right. 10 cents or yes, so. Yes, yes.
3: I uh, think so. that data shows that there is an appetite for that in the state of Missouri. I think citizens realize we've got to do something, and that's not the total answer either. That's just part of, of what we need to do the work we need to do.
2: I mean, do you think that the fact that we didn't make the final 20 on the cut for the— Amazon's second headquarters, which was which is called for tens of thousands of good jobs and all that, and some had hoped we at least would make that list. Um, do you think that's going to be causing any discussion uh, within the General Assembly? The fact that neither Kansas City nor St. Louis uh, made the list, or or is, or is that something that's just not going to be part of the discussion?
3: Well, I'm hoping we're going to find out why we weren't on that list before we make assumptions and. I've heard I believe it's Apple is looking for another place to land too, and maybe this... it could be in Oakville. <laughs> we'll have to see. Yeah, uh,
0: I I don't know enough about that situation, but I think going back to our, our first topic, um, how difficult we, we we talk about the budget and the budget has to be passed by a certain time, and if it doesn't, there's an automatic special session. Yeah, early May. Yes. So mm-hmm. I. I I've never seen a situation where they failed to pass the budget on time. I know it came close last year, but even though this might be a difficult period, I, I expect it to go to the governor's desk. How difficult is it going to be to do anything else, especially when it comes to major policy overhauls when the governor is in kind of this limbo period?
3: I think that's going to be up to leadership, I know in the House, because I am in leadership, I do get to sit down on those meetings. Our plan is to move forward with our agenda that we had before this whole story broke, and hopefully uh, the Senate will do the same. I think we've had some assurance from the Senate that they're going to do business as usual and see what we can accomplish. It
0: must be difficult to do that, though. I mean, just as a reporter, following every development of this, even when I'm during a weekend when I'm supposed to be with my family has been incredibly distracting. So I, I have to imagine that it's tenfold for people who are actually legislating, as you kind of alluded to in the first few minutes.
3: It, it is a distraction, which is another reason I I. Th- Think that the governor should consider stepping down and it's not again it's not because he had an affair it's because of everything that's piled on after it i mean the fact that the fbi is now investigating we have the attorney there's an inquiry but yeah, not an in, investigation yeah, okay inquiry. Inquiry. let's
2: emphasize we don't know if there's an investigation we know that a couple of people have said we have talked to them but we're not clear who just, initiated just it just to make clear and, that, and that's, want to go forward yes. right
3: and that has as far as i understand nothing to do with this situation
0: yeah I, I do want to touch on another thing that I've mentioned many times, in that the governor and the lieutenant governor do have very different views on certain issues. I mentioned low income housing tax credits a lot, but it's not just that. I think that Lieutenant Governor Parson would handle the Board of Education situation differently. I think that he probably would have pushed for a solution to the in home care funding situation. And he has actually come out for a gas tax increase, which is to me, something I don't know if the current governor would do, because it would be seen as too politically risky. Um, I know this is very speculative, because Governor Greitens is still the governor now, and he might be the governor for the next three or four years. From talking with your colleagues, though, is there just more comfort with Parson becoming governor, not only because of the distraction aspect, but because he seems to have a more defined set of issues he wants to do that may be more in line with what lawmakers want?
3: I think there's a greater level of predictability with Lieutenant Governor Parsons because many of us have worked with him and and, and know his style of leadership. Um, Governor Greitens is new in, in what we do. This is, a I always say, a team sport. We need each other to get anything accomplished. And um, I don't know where Governor Greitens will be as far as getting our work done, but I think that Lieutenant Governor Parsons certainly would make sure that we move forward.
2: Now, one of the controversies surrounding the governor, for getting this other stuff, and this is beforehand, and but this has come up again, is the fact that he does have, um, he's very closely aligned with this uh, nonprofit political group. There was one set up to help raise money before his inauguration, there this one was set up right afterwards we don't know how much it collects we don't know how the money is spent we don't know who gives the money Um, it's in the same building as his campaign operation he is allowed under the Missouri Ethics Commission he can be calling people and getting people to to donate to it I mean we've run into this with some other politicians my question is do you think that the current uh, controversy or scandal might prompt the General Assembly to take a more serious look at requiring uh, these nonprofits to identify their donors if they're doing political activities in Missouri, which is the way it is in some other states. And
0: I just want to mention for our listeners, you did mention quote dark money in your statement, yeah, and that's you were critical of him doing it. So actually, to,
2: that's the reason I brought it up.
0: Sorry, sorry to sorry to ruin the magic <laughs> there, but continue.
3: This has been something that's been discussed among legislators even before. This latest scandal happened. Um, I, I, I don't know what the governor meant when he campaigned, saying that he would bring transparency to the process and 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 give the voters of Missouri a um, honest, transparent leadership. I don't know what he meant by that, because this is anything but transparent.
0: I, I will just point out that one of the this is kind of separate from what we're talking about because I'm now talking about non 501c4s. But after Amendment 2 passed, I would classify that Missouri's coordination laws are very weak. I know that sounds opinionated, but when I lay this out, I think it's factual. The Missouri Ethics Commission says that a candidate for office can go to a fundraiser for a PAC, say, raise a million dollars for this PAC. And as long as it meets a certain criteria, like it's not meant to be a second candidate committee, they can do that, and that PAC could spend a million dollars on their behalf. With the 501c4 situation, and this was a situation before Amendment 2, there is nothing in state law that prevents somebody from raising a lot of money in a candidate account and then donating it to a 501c4. It actually specifically says that they're allowed to donate to a charitable organization. And where I could see that becoming an issue in the future is if there is a municipal or county candidate who can raise unlimited amounts of money, and then they give that money to a 501c4 that's then used for a statewide bid, totally fine under the campaign finance system. So the reason I'm laying this out, along with what Joe said about the 501c4s, do you think that there's any desire among legislators to to deal with this coordination issue? Because I've, I've gotten a sense that Democrats are interested in it. Republicans, though, have some misgivings based off various things. I'm interested to hear what your take is on that. I think
3: anything that makes the process more transparent and more accountable is a direction we should be moving in. And I agree with you. I also don't understand why it's okay to self-fund. So if I can put a million dollars into my own campaign fund, I can do that. But if I don't have that capacity, I'm limited to $2600 per individual or business entity. It seems to me that that's almost like you can buy a seat in the state legislature or any anywhere with with the current laws
2: now although that particular thing may be more a little more difficult because U.S. Supreme Court has ruled in favor of self-funding several decades ago I mean because this Mm -hmm. this has been a controversy that angle has been a controversy for over 40
0: years but but to her point now with Amendment 2 putting very strict limits on state legislative and statewide candidates it gives self-funders a pretty enormous advantage. Right. If I can't
3: write a half-million-dollar check, then I've got to rely on the much, much smaller donations. It just doesn't seem like it's a level playing field for running for public office.
2: I mean, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that particular angle, it may be virtually impossible for the General Assembly to deal with. But I think some of the other things that Jason and I brought up, depending on what the General Assembly wants to do, could be dealt with. I yes. mean, at least there there could be restrictions or could be more transparency required at minimum. But I'm not sure. I mean, there have been some conservatives who have who said that they will fall suit. I mean, some heads of some other 501c4s. I'm thinking Greg Keller here. Um, <laughs> who have said that they will file suit if the General Assembly tries to do that. So, So, I mean, do you think the General Assembly is prepared to get into that? Or do you think you guys are going to be dealing with so many other things this session it's just not going to happen?
3: I don't think it's going to happen this session. I think there would already have been a bill pre-filed and a lot of media on moving in that direction if it were going to happen this year. And again, uh, we would need a governor to sign off on that.
0: Yeah, current governor would probably veto that. We don't know if another governor will. In the last few minutes, I do want to ask, um, what has been the reaction to your statement? Um, I know that from looking on Twitter, both you and Representative Conway got a lot of plaudits from people that agree with you, but I would not be surprised if some people that support the governor were not as happy with you. I'm interested to hear what the reaction has been.
3: Yeah, there definitely has been support for both sides of this statement that I made. And um, I think one of the more public figures in, in media has a theory that maybe if if Governor Parsons were the I mean if Lieutenant Governor Parsons were the governor that I would get an appointment. That never even crossed my mind until I, I heard about that. I I just wish people would understand that I did what I did, it's my opinion I, if you don't like it, it's okay, but I've had, I've had some very disturbing phone calls and recordings, and I wouldn't say threats, but close to it. I, I just think let's, let's just step back, and everybody's entitled to their opinion as to where we should go with this, but um, be respectful of each other's opinions, and I think there's far more in favor that I have been become aware of, of having the governor consider stepping down than there is not.
2: I mean, were some of these, uh, I mean, were these anonymous or do you know who was doing them?
3: Anonymous, and which I, I, to oh, me is the most cowardly thing you can do.
0: And, and I just want to put a little bit of context for, for our listeners. I, I don't know what Representative Conway plans to do next. I think she might have been thinking about doing something on a county level, but she's term limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, so are you. You're term mm-hmm. limited, and I think the next office you may run for is in 2020. So I don't think you you're doing this to get attention for your race this year I think you I just want to make that clear for our listeners that I don't think that either one of you are doing this for attention because as you mentioned it was a situation where again you probably got a lot of support but it's not without risk to go against the governor of your own party like this right is that fair to say
3: it's very fair to say and and I don't even know if I will be successful with any of my legislative priorities this year. And I've even said to some, some of the people that I'm working with, that this is really important to you for us to get this through. Maybe you need to look at someone else carrying this, this legislation, because I don't know that um, there's an appetite from the executive branch to support anything I do. And I and I I understand that, and I knew that going into this, but um, unfortunately, that's that's how it is.
2: Now, looking ahead for yourself, uh, before we end this, this it's just kind of what you might be looking at. You had been encouraged at one point to consider running for the U.S. Senate against Claire McCaskill. Um, Right now, it's often a different direction. But I'm interested if that has influenced as you look ahead. I mean, and this was all coming up before all this stuff. Um, So I'm just interested in what what you may be looking at.
3: Right now, I'm just keeping all options open. I don't have to make a decision now. I just, I'm just i just staying focused on why I'm in Jefferson City. Now through May, I know I'll have to step up by March, the middle of March, if I decide to run for something in 2018, but um, pretty much everything's on the table.
0: And if, again, as I alluded to before, if you decide not to run for anything in 2018, Scott Sifton is termed out in 2020. When we last had you on this show, you were a state senate candidate, but you decided not to do that. Might have been a good decision because Sifton ended up winning. So that's also a possibility for two years into the future. Well, I just want to thank you very much for coming in here. I know that this wasn't the easiest thing for you to do, given how much criticism you mentioned that you got. But I really appreciate you stepping before reporters and, and talking with us. So well, thank I, you again. I do
3: appreciate you listening to to what I have to say about this.
0: For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at...
3: Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. I
0: believe you can be followed on Twitter at at Marsha Hafner. Is there any other way for, for people to find you on the World Wide Web?
3: There's a Facebook that I'm not real active on, but... Um,
0: yeah. Not everybody has to be in on right. social media. I'm,
3: I'm, I'm pretty low-key.
0: We'll be back next time. Until then, so long.